Evening. The scripture reading will be taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 1 Peter 4, verse 6. Starting in 1 Peter 3, verse 18 to chapter 4, verse 6. For Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the, destruction, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water, Corresponding, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live... So, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abdominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you or spite you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Thanks, Donovan. Historic day today. I'm not using a PowerPoint both sermons. You might think Anthony had a, a day off, but uh, he's probably more tired from this weekend with the uh, young people over in West Virginia than, uh, than I will be after talking three times today to you. I'm really glad, though, that I got to fill in for him. This is, uh, this is like part six of nine. He broke First Peter into about nine parts, and uh, I've been able to uh, take the submission uh, sermon now also tonight to talk about something that I learned a great deal about in preparing um, for this lesson. In fact, some of the things I want to share with you are still relatively new to my own understanding. I may have to read them rather than to look you in the eyes and preach them. I mean that. To make sure that I communicate some of the things how they really ought to be rather than me explain them. Because I'm still wrestling with this concept of suffering and its, and its role in my life and in, in our lives as Christians uh, myself. So, you'll probably notice some of those times when I'm looking down and reading that uh, these, are, these are thoughts and challenges that are, that are pretty new to me. So, I appreciate Anthony uh, allowing me to step in for him and take some of these. Uh, I chose these two because I liked the passages. Now I realize I got myself into a couple real doozies to talk about you know, suffering. Um, I asked if the song Standing on the Promises could be sung tonight. And one of the reasons is something I was coming across in, in preparing for this lesson uh, was a phrase that was found in this uh, 
this song about um, the storms of doubt. And I was thinking, what song is that? And I remembered it was this song. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. Assail us, right? There's other uh, phrases here that lend themselves to this song being about standing on the promises of God when you're suffering or when you're under trial. Um, Bound to Him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. Uh, standing on the promises, I cannot fail. Listening every moment to the Spirit's, or um, yeah, to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior is my all in all. That idea of resting in my Savior doesn't that also? This whole song implies that the promises of God are something we look to when we're suffering. But here's what the song doesn't state, and it's okay that it doesn't state this. But here's what it doesn't state: one of the promises of God is that you will suffer. He promised you that. Now, that being said, when you suffer, we step back and we need to search for foundation. I need something to stand on when I'm suffering. But He promised that we'd suffer, but He promised that there was a reason for the suffering that's pretty profound. It's pretty rich, pretty deep. And so, like I said, I'm wrestling with some thoughts myself for the first time uh, as I was reading some of the, um, some of the thinking of others uh, who have studied it. There's a lot written on this subject. I mean, there's been a lot of work done. Some of it's okay. A lot of it's just very good. And you know, most of the time, the best work is written in first person. It's written by those people who have suffered and learned and are sharing. I've noticed that. The funny thing was I came across something uh, after I noticed that, that someone said the best material we have on suffering is from those who suffer. I'm like, yeah, I just kind of realized that. When you're reading about experiences people have, those are the people that tend to give you something really to, to hold on to and chew on. Paul told the Corinthians that they could in turn offer consolation to those who are experiencing trials because of the trials they're going through. And that's just a general truth, isn't it? So, the Lord promises it. For example, Jesus said, uh, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Paul said uh, to all his new churches that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom, Acts 14. Peter said... Uh, in, uh, later in the chapter that we're dealing with tonight, chapter 4, 1 Peter. Uh, Anthony will deal a little more with this passage. But do not be surprised at the fiery trials which are among you or coming upon you, as though some strange things were happening to you. This is for your testing. So in other words, suffering is something rather to be expected. And I just wonder, how prepared are we for suffering? Are we really hoping to escape it? Are we hoping to go through life without it? If we're hoping that, we're actually hoping to avoid something that God said, I promise you this will come in some shape or form, and I promise you that there will be some things you gain from this that you couldn't otherwise. There will be things you gain from this if you couldn't otherwise. So, Dorothy said, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. And I want to tell you tonight, we're not in heaven yet. We're not there yet. Uh, this is not meant to be a, a, 
a heavenly abode that we're in. We get tastes of it. We get foretastes of it. We get glimpses into heaven. We experience good relationships and fellowships and, and, and things like this, but, but we are not in the place of rest yet. We're to rest on the promises of God, which include us coming to a place of rest where there will be no more suffering. We're not there yet. Given the different levels of severity of suffering and the random, randomness of it, that is that something can happen tonight yet that enters you into a whole new phase of your life. It's just random. We don't know sometimes when these things are going to come upon us. Given that, it's not surprising that people respond to it in different ways, but Christians are taught to view it in a particular light. And uh, again, this is something that we, we need to understand that God has spoken to us about. So we're focusing in this message on the need to prepare ourselves for suffering. Either you have experienced suffering, you're suffering now, or you're going to suffer at some level. You might suffer uh, loss of income. You might suffer the loss of a loved one. You might suffer uh, a mocking or a persecution for your faith. Um, you can suffer in a lot of ways. You can suffer, as Jesus did, being tempted wrestling with sin in your life and trying to overcome it. Jesus did that. So it comes in a variety of shapes and sizes, and it's just we're just not sure sometimes. But what this is going to be about is preparing you for this. And not just to survive it, but that you may enter into a deeper glory with God through this suffering, that you may enter into a deeper relationship with Him. Nominal Christianity will not prepare you for this. If you think about it, a Sunday-only type of Christianity will fail you if you think that whatever you might gain in an hour, hour or two on a Sunday is somehow going to be able to uh, stabilize you and help you endure through the following hours and days and weeks of a hardship. You know, what you, what you hope to gain by a gathering once a week is just not going to sustain you if that's all the deeper that your faith is. A prosperity gospel where you think that, that if I'm faithful, God will prosper me. That will let you down also when you realize that no amount of money that you either gain or that you give can purchase your way out of suffering. Can't buy your way out of it. A legalistic Christianity, where you're satisfied only when you feel like the number of good works that you're doing outweigh the, the sins of your day or your week, or when you find yourself feeling guilty or ashamed, you seek to get out of that, not by confession and repentance, but by doing more. That'll only let you down. Guilt and shame are really poor allies when you're trying to overcome hardships for Christ's sake. 
Those are really poor allies. All those do is pour salt in your wounds because now not only are you never going to be good enough, but you think you're being punished perhaps because you're not good enough. I mean, it's, that's tough if that's your Christianity uh, when, you, when you face hardships or poor allies in the fight to endure suffering. So what we really need, what we really need is a close, authentic, living, personal relationship with Jesus Christ who has gone before us through suffering and entered into glory. And He, if you will, reaches back His hand to bring us to God. Look at that passage in 1 Peter 3. Again, I've got to find it myself. I don't have it marked. Uh, 1 Peter 3, we began in, in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, and, and it's hard to just to stick just with my text because suffering is really a theme of the book of 1 Peter, but compile this uh, along with these other lessons to get a more complete understanding. But I'm specifically dealing with these passages about suffering. But for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. There's a purpose for our suffering. God allows us to suffer that we may enter into a greater level of intimacy with Christ, which we cannot know otherwise. You know, just on the way here this evening, another beautiful sunset. I hope, I hope that you've I've mentioned it enough. I mean, on our drive from, from Carroll up here, it's, it's kind of flat, and we can see to the west most of the way. And we love that because we get to see those sunsets either. Now it's on the way to church. It was for a while on the way back. Another beautiful sunset. Taylor's home. She's glad to be home, you know, after a, a long stretch of the semester. I know Christy and the other college students are, the color girls and others. And um, she said, you know, this morning I was, I was kind of overwhelmed. I was, uh, it was, it was, uh, I'm home. Um, we're taking communion. She was sitting between Monica and Rita. She said, two of the most influential women in my life. And um, she said, I just was, uh, I was real touched by this. And now this sunset, it's just been a good day. And I said, well, I don't want to be a bubble burster, but let me give you a little trailer to the sermon tonight. And I said, those, those things are all designed to bring us closer to God. Nature is designed so that we can see the glory of God in it, Right? And, and, his, and he, he evinces Himself in nature to us. But we can really understand some things about Him through nature. Our fellowship together uh, draws us closer to Christ when we see that unity can be held in Christ by being together. You know, during the communion specifically. Uh, being around people who have been recreated in the image of Christ like Monica and Rita, and, and Taylor, old enough now to realize these women are special to me because what Christ has done in their lives for them, right? And I said, there's something yet that can even take you deeper in your appreciation. But it's totally unlike this joyous type of, of, of happy feeling, and that is when you suffer. When you suffer, you come to know Christ on a different level. 
than when everything's going well and when everything is, is um, just how you'd hope it would be. The only, maybe the only thing that can take us deeper than that, than that positive joy, if you will, Christ suffered being tempted, Hebrews 2.18. He suffered hostility from sinners, Hebrews 12.3. He suffered on the cross to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself, Hebrews 9.26. All of these allowed Him to experience our sufferings so that He could give us aid, Hebrews chapter 2.18. That He might aid those who need the help. So think about this with me. Christ suffered for us, but He also suffered that He might understand and help us. Then He says to us, now when you suffer, you'll understand who I am. And that indeed is a different level. When you think that God would suffer for me, so that we can relate to each other on this level. Now these are things that when you experience hardship, persecution, and all the synonyms that that go with suffering, these are things that don't normally come to your mind, do they, when you're undergoing or receiving the brunt of or the beginning of these hardships. You don't, at first, usually when you are are told bad news. Say, well, all right then, good. It takes a little while before you say, well, James said to consider it all joy. You know, to consider it means you've got to take some time to think about it. Consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. It takes some time before it hits us, but Christ suffered that we would understand Him. There's a special bond that we form with those with whom we endure hardships. Now, some of you have been in the military or are in the military. Understand what it's like maybe to go through boot camp together or into battle together. Some of you have trained for your jobs that, are, uh, that require much endurance. For example, firefighters or law enforcement officers and the types of things that you undergo to prepare for that are hard and difficult. Um, If you're an athlete, there are certain times when you undergo extreme testing in order to rise to the next level. I think particularly the beginning of a football season with two-a-days. There are other times. There's a group here that went to Joplin, Missouri. And in a sense, we suffered with those people, although we, we ourselves did not suffer. Maybe in the sense of working hard all day long each day we did. But we bonded because we experienced that hardship together with them. Six days on the Appalachian Trail with Colton enhanced our relationship together. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of ways that we bond together because of hardship. Perhaps husbands and wives that go through things together. Think of your own. I, I, I would imagine every one of you here who are old enough to hear and understand this sermon can say, I remember when. I remember, I have a special bond with this person because we went through this together. Nobody else. Siblings sometimes share that. If a family has more than one sibling, they can say, you know, you're the only other person or you're, you're the only other 
people that understand what it's like to go through being the children of Matt and Monica Thomas. That's a suffering, that's a hardship. But siblings, uh, siblings share those. These are all ways that they, they bond in a, in a special way, and, and you all have your particular cases. Sometimes we feel like God is most distant when we're suffering, when we're, when we're trying to figure out why something has happened to us. We demand an answer from God. Job pours out his heart to get an answer from God. For 30-some chapters, he's, he's talking to himself, he thinks, he feels like. God's not listening. He demands a day in court with God. He wants to present his case to God. And he feels like he's not listening. God heard the whole thing, didn't he? And he finally comes to him and says, I have some questions now for you, Job. Sometimes we just feel like God's not there. And he's the furthest away. And yet the very opposite is true. Psalmist said it best maybe in Psalm 46.1, God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in time of need. In fact, God draws closer to you in your hardest times than He even does when things are just going along and you're relating with God and you're praying with God and you're working with God, but He draws especially close to you when you're going through difficulties in life. Zechariah said, remember this morning, I'm a wall of fire about you. I'm a wall of fire about you. You've nothing now to fear. If we're patient in tribulation, we'll enter into a deeper fellowship with the Lord. We'll become partakers of His suffering. You know Him better when you share His pain. And the people who write most deeply and sweetly about the preciousness of Christ are usually people who have suffered with Him the deepest. Job, after months of suffering, finally said then, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ears, but now my eye has seen you. Now that may be a, as premier of an example of what I'm talking about as in the Scriptures. I've heard about you. I've heard about how to handle these things. I've held on with all I have. I didn't cast away my faith. My wife even told me to cast it off. I didn't. I've held on. I've heard about you, but now that you've expressed yourself to me about suffering, I feel like I've seen something about you that I would never have gotten had I not gone through this. Stephen, at the moment he was being stoned, God drew close to him and said, and, and Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and as the stones were falling upon him, he was crying out to God. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. A special revelation, a special intimacy prepared for those who suffer with Christ. Peter had a lot to say about it, especially in this book. But he said in chapter 4, If you're reproached for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the Spirit of God, of glory, and of God rests upon you. Now that's as close as it gets, isn't it? When the Spirit of God rests upon you, He's with you. When He says, I am with you, He is truly. Not just closing the distance from heaven, coming down a little closer. He is resting upon us.
Do you remember what Noby Stone said about flatland, if you were here for that afternoon presentation? All right? I, I had never read that book until I read it in his book. He used the, the, the illustration as well in the book, and, and I read it out. Now, that's really interesting. Uh, but God had the problem of revealing himself from his spiritual realm to us who are in a material realm, not being able to see the spiritual, not being able to sense it with our empirical senses. God has this problem, if you will, not that it's hard for Him, but a special challenge to reveal Himself to us in our little three-dimensional world here, that there's actually another dimension beyond all this. And in a similar way, just as those flatlanders who, when they looked at each other as if they were drawn on a two-dimensional piece of paper, as if they were shapes, imagine yourself a square on a piece of paper. When they looked at each other, all they could see is a straight line. There's only that, that dimension there where they look side to side and it's flat and all they see is a straight line. When you're up above that looking down, you see all the sides and the shapes and everything. In a similar way, God has to lift us up out of this world and show us and, and, and allow us to experience things that we wouldn't experience otherwise. And suffering serves this purpose. Uh, if there were no suffering or pain, we also would not have any concept of what was good or lovely. Do you realize that? Do you realize if there was no evil, if there's no pain, if there's no suffering, what we would call good right now would just be what it is. It would just be the norm. We wouldn't appreciate it because we wouldn't be able to call it good. It would just be the way things are. But this pain and suffering allows us to have a perspective that is more complete. That we can then look to those things that are good and they're really good after we experience this. After we've been brought out of uh, a good life and good blessings and been allowed to suffer. It's almost like we're being lifted off that paper and allowed to look back down on flat land and see that there's a dimension to our spiritual life that, that we would not have detected had we not been allowed and promised suffering. So it's not without purpose. Here's the second thing I want to bring out. It's in uh, verses 18 through 21 where Peter said that by the Spirit, Christ went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. Speaking of those in the days of Noah who were in sin. And just like there were souls saved. Those eight souls were saved through water. There's an antitype which now saves us baptism, but here's the part that is very important here, I think. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into the heavens at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. What do you mean a good conscience, Peter? Through Christ's suffering... We are made pure. Now let me explain that. Like I said, some of these things are, are challenging for me to grasp, let alone to communicate with you. Through Christ's suffering, therefore Christ also suffered, so He wants to connect us with that. 
How does that affect me? He did so with the intention of bringing us to the Father through suffering. It's through the same suffering that we're purified. Purification takes place when, now this is really important, purification takes place when we stop fighting the battle for self-preservation. I don't want anything bad to happen to me. I'm going to fight to be comfortable in any way I can. It's just, it's bad if things aren't right. It's bad if, thing, if I'm suffering anything. And I'm going to do whatever I can to protect myself and seek comfort in my life. When we stop fighting that desire to be comfortable and everything be good, we can let go and enter into suffering and come to know Christ on this deeper level. When we do that, we will die to this desire to preserve our flesh and our body from pain, and we will begin to live a deeper spiritual life. So I stop fighting to spoil my body and give it everything it wants and do whatever it takes to scratch and claw and protect myself, whether it be protecting my image, my reputation, my, my, my wealth that I'm trying to build, and, or even precious things like my relationships with loved ones where I, I don't want anything bad to happen to them so much that if, that if something bad happens, I, I demand from God, why is this happening? See, I fight for that even. I fight to protect my loved ones from suffering. When we realize that this is a part of life and we let go of this fight, we add another dimension to our understanding. Now, why is baptism mentioned here? Is it not baptism where we are told to die to your old self, to the flesh, the sins of the flesh, but also just living a carnally-minded life where everything is about me gaining, being comfortable, being without pain, seeking all the pleasures I can, and just trying to lead a good life? Isn't that where we say, I'm going to die to thinking that way, and I'm going to live to God, Christ went through death for me, and I, for example, in this body of water right here, am going to solidify my relationship with Him and enter into covenant with Him by going into death with Him and living to God from here on out. I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to live for me. When we let go of that, we may say, my conscience is now cleared. I, as in chapter 4, verse 1, will have ceased from sin if I arm myself with this same mindset. Why? Because sin is when I'm trying to preserve myself and everything about me through being friends with the world. 
I want to be friends with the world. I want everybody to like me. I want everything to go well. And when I decide that I no longer am going to seek friendship with the world, but a relationship with God, I am now free to undergo suffering and have it not control me because I'm a spiritual being. And I can stand on the promises of God that there is an end to this suffering, that everything will be made right by Him. I don't have to enforce right upon people around me who are wronging me. I don't have to be vindictive. I don't have to be hateful. I don't have to be a vigilante about it. I can let God be God because I know He'll do a better job of making things right than me. See, I let go of hatred. I let go of, of worry. I let go of anger when I reach out and take a hold of Jesus Christ who suffered for me. And I understand what it is to live a spiritual life. So I told you there were some deep thoughts behind all this, but I think they're there. I think they're in Scripture. And baptism is a release of that desire to fight for the flesh. Nobi said, too, I remember something he said. He said, I'm surprised by Christians who scratch and claw to save themselves, not just to gain their health back, not in self-defense, if you will, but in the sense that they're afraid to die like there's no God, like there's no heaven that they've been living for, like God's promises are, are not real, like, like, like there is not a righteous God. You know, Paul told the Thessalonians that through their, through their enduring hardships, they have shown evidence to the world that there is a righteous God in charge. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5, 6, 7. Read that. He said, you manifest evidence that God is a righteous God when you endure suffering. Because when people look at you and you're suffering, they expect you to fall to pieces. People without hope fall apart. There's just no reason for this. My life and all that I fought for is just falling to pieces. And this is all I've got. This is my one life. It's my, and it's falling apart. When Christians endure these things in a faithful manner and handle themselves in such a way that they exude confidence, it stands as a testimony to those around that there is a righteous God in heaven, at least according to this person, and this is pretty powerful evidence because it's not usual that people respond to suffering like this. How many people? I remember sitting in the room with the O'Neills at Mount Carmel East when the doctor came in and told them that Jane wasn't going to make it. I was holding Keith's hand and Ben was sitting across from me and the doctor looked at Ben and he said, Ben, your faith... I think is going to carry you through. And Ben said, I'm not worried about my faith, which is a powerful statement in and of itself. He said, I'm worried about living without Jane. That's going to be the hard part. But what a, 
What a perspective he had. My faith in God is not going to be shaken by that. He prepared for things like this that might happen. But on the other hand, how do you prepare for that, right? And so the, 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 the hardship began. But he understood that these things happened. I, I've always since appreciated him for that, and that really, uh, that's really affected me in that sense. And uh, when and if a day comes where I experience suffering, I want you to remind me that I know how to handle suffering. And I've had experiences with others as well as from Scripture about it. So it purifies, I got off tangent a little bit, it purifies us, suffering does, by alleviating us from the fight to preserve ourselves, from the fight to somehow account for our sin apart from God. It purifies our conscience. Suffering brings us to this. All right. Third thing and last thing is that it prepares us. Prepares us for the glory which will follow afterward, Peter said in chapter 1, verse 11. Christ suffered first to pave the way for us to the Father, but now we must follow on the same path. There's no shortcuts. There's no detours. There's no superhighways straight to the Father that, that bypass suffering. We're all going to experience it. I always wonder... I always wonder why some people experience more than others. I don't think it's because they asked for it they, or necessarily need it um, or that they've done something wrong or it's because of sin. But I know families that have suffered one hardship after another and I wonder why I don't. But maybe it's because they can handle it and I can't. That's one answer. Job suffered greatly because he was a great man. but it prepares us for what's coming after this. Paul said, now listen to this, Philippians 3, I count all things lost that I might gain Christ. He said also, in, in, uh, in another place, he said, I do not count my life dear to myself. I do not count my life dear to myself. And he also said that uh, he would rather be with the Lord to depart and be with the Lord through his sufferings, but that while he was here, he would serve the church and take glory in that. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. All this talk about gaining and losing, gaining and losing. When you become a Christian, you take all of these things that you have, have staked your whole life on, that you fight for, and that you refuse to let go of, and you write loss on them. You write loss. That's really hard to do. I don't like losing anything. And we count all things loss so that we might gain in its place Christ. How is this a way to prepare for suffering? Well, we fight to maintain this image and status and money. We fight to maintain and protect our relationships, probably to an unrealistic level sometimes. But relying upon any or all of these things cements our attachments to the world. Then, listen to this, when they are taken away, we suffer. And we may not recover if our heart is attached to the things of this world, including other human beings. If that's where our 
identity is, if that's where our attachments are, and our love for the world includes all of these things. When we lose something, we'll suffer and we may not recover. However, if as a Christian we voluntarily submit these blessings back to the rightful owner, someone said this morning, I can't remember who it was or, or, or what setting, but the Lord said, all the earth is mine. And that includes people. That includes all the possessions that we have. When we submit these things back to their rightful owner, then we detach and let God be sovereign in those areas. Let me give you an example personally. Colton's in Haiti right now. You think mom and I are just a little concerned about that? We are. We are. I've told my children, and they'll hear it again tonight, to them, if something happens to us, if we depart and you live in some other country, some other part of the world, let's meet up in heaven. Let's get there. Everybody get there. We'll have an eternity together. So I'm not going to fight to try to keep my kids close to me all my life so they can be there for every Thanksgiving and every Christmas and we can go and do all these things and all the grandkids come and I can take them to the park and all that. I want to do that just like anybody else would. But I'm not going to fight God over it. I'm not. This is a temporary dwelling. We're spending eternity together. This is perhaps what I mean, and I'm sharing a personal example so you don't get mad at me thinking that I'm pointing everything at you. This is a personal example of me, of, of me trying not to have my identity wrapped up even in my children or in my wife. If she should pass, what would I do? Or in any other thing in this world but to let God have control and sovereignty over these things. I think then when there's loss, it won't devastate. But I'll look to the heavens, and I think that's one of the purposes of suffering, church. That we'll look to the heavens, that we'll reach our heavenly home. So, there's purpose in it, and there's purity in suffering. It's like a fire, that it melts away all the things that we should not be, and leaves us with, with really who we are, and should show us what we need to be, but it also prepares us. I'll leave you on this last thing. No, I'm sorry, I went long again today. I'm sorry, there's so much, uh, so much to say on this subject. Um, Peter used one word here. It was a word that, was, that stood out to me when I was in college, and I was wrestling with sin, and I was wrestling with what direction I wanted to go in my life. And this one word, in this one context of 1 Peter 4, 1-6, and I'd love to preach a whole other sermon on this, but he said, we've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. Enough. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that the suffering that I was actually undergoing, wrestling with and fighting with temptation and sin, it's, it's enough of this. Let God have your life. That spoke to me. So that word right in that passage. We've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. We should live to God. It was very powerful. And I submit to you that if you have not submitted all things over to Christ, say to yourself, enough 
fighting against God. Enough. I'm going to let Him be God and I'm going to invest all my being in, in the Spirit and in the spiritual life. Let's stand and sing this song. If you need to respond and become a Christian tonight, put on Christ in baptism, repent of your sins, you can do that now as we stand and sing.